0: Hello, and welcome to the Calvary Chapel Southeast Podcast. Thank you for joining us for our study through the book of Genesis. The book of Genesis is an important part of the scriptures. It holds some of the most memorable accounts in the entire Bible, like the story of creation and the calling of Abraham. But more important than the individual stories within it, this book marks the beginning of God's magnificent plan of redemption for a lost humanity. Grab your Bibles and let's jump in
1: we have the privilege really of going through the book of genesis and and i know we're we all in various places of our lives have probably read through this book i think we can all say as we read through it each time there's something new that comes off the pages you know that as god is speaking to our particular circumstances of life in the moment that there is something new to be found, something fresh for us. Not something, you know, undiscoverable or never discovered before, but perhaps for us not discovered, amen? So we, we, we teach through the word of God that we might get the whole counsel of God. We are in Genesis chapter seven tonight That's where we'll be picking up. We taught through or studied through uh, chapters four and five last week. And just want to review a few things as we before we get to chapter seven. And I hope that what we're noticing is this overarching theme. It starts with the the very title of the book of Genesis, the book of beginnings. It's the beginnings of creation. It's the, the beginning of our description, and understanding of God. It's the beginning of mankind and and sin that came into the world, but also this wonderful story that begins, this history that begins of the redemption of mankind by a loving and gracious, patient God. And aren't you glad he's patient? I know I I am. I was just sharing with Sean before the service, like, man, what a mess I was before Christ. And not that I'm, you know, some perfect example, certainly by now, but at least my wife can say, yes, he's changed, right? But it's, it's a book of beginnings, and it's the beginning of the greatest story that has ever been told, that of a loving God pursuing a fallen and sinful creation, mankind. And from the beginning, what we see is God being full of grace and truth, just like what we, we understand Jesus, when he came, he came full of grace and truth. And we did a series on that uh, this last summer. I think it was this last summer. Yes, last this last summer. And so if you wanted to hear that or watch those messages, again, there was a whole series of grace and truth. You can watch those. But God begins with grace and truth right from the, the outset. As we studied through chapters five and six, we saw the Lord's faithfulness to his promise to Adam and Eve that the coming Messiah, that the Messiah would come through their descendants. That was the hope that everyone now begins to look forward to. And it would happen through the lineage of Seth. And in that, we would see this foreshadowing uh, of Christ through Seth's great grandson, Noah. In the recorded genealogy of chapter five, we, we discovered also, we talked a little bit about the importance of names within the Bible. I didn't mention this last week, but I think I'll throw this in there uh, just because I I found it interesting. I know that Nathan and I were talking about it as well. Um, Some Bible commentators have pointed out that the names of those listed in chapter five, they communicate the gospel through the meaning of their names. And so I'll just take it very quickly. It says, Adam means man. Seth means appointed or substituted. Enosh means mortal. Kenan means sorrow or possess. Mahalalel means blessed of God. Jared means descent or come down. Enoch means to teach or to initiate. Methuselah means his death sends. We talked about that last week. Uh, Lamech means despairing or sorrowful. And Noah means rest. So if you combine those two in, in, in a concise sentence, you might sound something like this. Thus you could say man is appointed mortal sorrow but the blessed one of God shall come down teaching that his death sends the despairing rest. So it's this wonderful picture, even within the names, that you might grasp a little bit of that. And I don't think it's an accident or some manipulation of the scriptures. I I just believe God was trying to communicate from the very beginning his heart for mankind. Adam's son, Seth, is described in chapter five as having been fathered in the likeness and image of Adam. And this was a big shift, because prior to that, we had seen that God fashioned mankind in his own likeness. He said, let us fashion man in our image and in our likeness. But this is the first time this phrase is used, that he's the son of his is fashioned in his own likeness. And sadly, that also meant the likeness of a fallen, corrupt individual. And thus began, even before that, in the first, Cain and Abel and all the descendants in between Seth, that genetically, if you you will, we were implanted with this sinful nature that we no longer could escape. From this point forward, mankind is marked with sin, yet in that, God could not fail to demonstrate love and grace and truth, which as we mentioned before, are foundational to his character, his nature. It's interesting again that Enoch's name means teach and his life taught us a very valuable lesson. He, his life demonstrated to us a life lived by faith and that is what most pleases God is we think about our own lives. Um, again, it's, it's, not, it's not necessarily what we do. Yes, there is that component of obedience to the commands and requests of God but it's the attitude by which we do them that God is most concerned with. This was the problem that existed in Jesus's time was the religious leaders, they could do all these things, but the motivation, Jesus often said, was to draw attention to themselves. Again, as Lajon and I were talking before the service, we could be up here as, as pastors, teachers, as worship leaders, or any other function within the church, like greeters, ushers, children's ministry, nursery, hospitality, whatever that service may be. Those are good things, right? First Corinthians 13 talks about them. They're good things, but if they're not done out of a love, a, hum- a humble love that says, God, you are the reason I can do these things. Then the scriptures tell us there in 1 Corinthians 13. They profit nothing. They're, they're pointless and futile. Faith is the standard by which God is set before us. No matter how sacrificial, no matter how honorable, how kind, will ever amount to anything if the, in eternity if it's not done without a love for God through Christ. Now, despite the generations that we would be seeing there in chapters five and six, the generations of sin from Adam to Noah, God is demonstrating something that we see again in scriptures is his patience, this enduring the increased wickedness and sin that existed in humanity at that time. Because he was giving them an opportunity. And even when he expressly saw that, the evil intent of every thought of mankind was only evil, it says. He says he was still giving them every opportunity, 120 years, to turn and recognize him. Like Enoch before him, Noah found favor in the eyes of God because he was a man of faith a man who believed God and then that translated into actions. So much so that he labored 75 years to complete this big giant boat that I'm sure he was being ridiculed for. And at the same time, being faithful to communicate, listen, judgment is coming, judgment is coming. Now, this is a warning for you and I. We mentioned it last week. God will not endure this foolishness forever. We've seen that in Israel's time, right? We see it now in in our generations. He will not endure this forever. He revealed through the flood, his judgment on sin is certain. It's absolutely gonna happen. He will not delay forever. In fact, he set a time which he warns is coming, and the wise person by faith takes that to heart, and they live accordingly. Also, as he did through Noah, he's prepared a means for us to escape this judgment, but we must enter into his prepared rest by the means means he himself has provided, not through our own imaginations. Like, I think there's many paths to God, Well, that would be great, except Jesus said there wasn't, right? There is only one. We can have all kinds of imaginations about how we might have a relationship with God, but that matters not, not one bit, unless God has said that. We must choose. We must live by faith in the one who commands us to seek him, to know him, and through him love others as he loves us, that they would know him. Now, as we look at chapter seven and eight, we'll continue through now with this idea of God's pursuit of mankind, but in the context of judgment. So if you'll read with me, starting at verse one of chapter seven, Then the Lord said to Noah, enter the ark, you and all your household, for you alone (coughs) I have seen to be righteous before me in this generation. I don't know why I keep forgetting to grab a bottle of water. It always starts at the beginning. You shall take with you seven pairs of every clean animal, a male and his female, and two of the animals that are not clean, a male and his female. Also of the birds of the sky, seven pairs, male and female, to keep their offspring alive on the face of all the earth. For after seven more days, I will send a rain on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. And that'll be an interesting component within there. And I will wipe out from the face of the land every living thing that I have made. Pause while we wait for verse five. So Noah acted in accordance with everything that the Lord had commanded him. Again, that's noteworthy. Now, Noah was 600 years old when the flood of water came upon the earth. Then Noah and his sons, his wife and his son's wives with him entered the ark because of the waters of the flood, of clean animals and animals that are not clean and birds and everything that crawled on the ground. They all went into the ark to Noah by twos, male and female, as God had commanded Noah. Now it came about after seven days that the waters of the flood came upon the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on that day, all the fountains of the great deep burst open and the floodgates of the sky were opened. The rain fell upon the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. This is repeated. On this very same day, Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, the sons of Noah and Noah's wife, and the three wives of his sons with him entered the ark, they and every animal according to its kind and all the livestock according to their kind and every crawling thing that crawls on the earth according to its kind and every bird according to its kind, all sorts of birds. So they went into the ark to Noah by twos of all flesh in which there was the breath of life. Those that entered male and female of all flesh entered as God had commanded him and the Lord closed the door behind him. Then the flood came upon the earth for 40 days and the water increased and lifted up the ark so that it rose above the earth. The water prevailed and increased greatly upon the earth and the ark floated on the surface of the water. And the water prevailed more and more upon the earth so that all the high mountains everywhere under the heavens were covered. The water prevailed 15 cubic higher and the mountains were covered. So all the creatures that moved on the earth perished, birds, livestock, animals, animals and every swarming thing that swarms upon the earth and all mankind. Of all that was on the dry land, all in whose nostrils was the, the spirit of life died. He wiped out every living thing that was upon the face of the land from mankind to animals to crawling things and the birds of the sky, and they were wiped out from the earth. Only Noah was left, together with those that were with him in the ark. And the water prevailed upon the earth for 100 years and 50 days. There's several different repetitions here. I think it's important as we move forward to pick up on those. But as you think about that, the Lord said to Noah, enter the ark, you and all your household, for you alone, I, I've seen to be righteous before me in this generation. Now, think of it, you know, I was talking with a police officer this morning and they were talking about how they were went to Disney World. There was limited rides, limited number of fast passes. This is the fast pass in the ark. There were a limited number of tickets. And only those possessing those tickets by faith were allowed to enter. I mean, I just on a side note, I find it interesting there's no mention made of the, the spiritual condition of Noah's wife and his sons and their wives. It's, it's kind of this separation. Um, I think there's a little, a little hint there in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, t- speaking of the relationships between husbands and wives and their children and non-believers and believers, this whole idea that as, as a believer in a, in a marriage relationship, there's a sanctification that takes place, a setting apart, a making holy, as it says there in that passage. And so whether, whether they were equally believing or not, they came along. They entered the ark, they had to make that choice to enter the ark. But there was that, also that work of this righteous man, in, as it were, kind of pulling them or um, beckoning them to come with. It's not, uh, you know, that 1 Corinthians passage isn't saying that, hey, just because you have an unbelieving spouse and a believing spouse, that the unbelieving spouse is gonna be saved. Uh, no, that's definitely not the case. It's simply saying that there are special blessings and benefits in that relationship. I'm certainly a benefit of that. I was explaining to Lejean before I became a believer, before you know, in Sam and I's second year marriage, that man, I was not a good husband. I was, I was not a good man. I was, as I said before, I was a jackal. But I could not deny, as the scripture says, her good and chaste behavior that honored God, that brought me to really a place of shame that says like, fine, I'll go to church with you, (laughs) right? That's the work. That's the work that God wants to do. And that's the work that God wants to do with us, not just in a marriage relationship, but all relationships that we, as Pastor Doug has often said or prayed at the end of a service, that we would have more impact on this world than it has on us. That we would be an influence. As followers of Jesus Christ. Now again, if you look at verse two and three, the faithfulness of Noah to obey God also extends now throughout the millennia to you and me. Noah's faith was used to preserve animals of every kind, especially those used in sacrifices. It was part of God's provision also for future generations and future commands relating to the sacrificial system. Think with me, from the very beginning, as they're removed from, remove from the garden, Cain and Abel are offering sacrifices. God is already laying the foundation for this, laying the groundwork. When we get a little farther into the, into the study of, um, of, ch- of chapter 8, we we see Noah also making sacrifices. And then much, much later, what do we have in the nation Israel? This whole sacrificial system. God, in his wisdom, in his foreknowledge, in his care and concern for mankind, and our redemption, the covering of sin even, he is already planning way ahead, way ahead for what would be needed. God sees the future and the plans that he set, has set in motion. And all of those things are making allowances for our future needs. And it's sometimes easy for us to miss it when they're, when they're in the midst of a really difficult life circumstance or life choice, to understand how is this circumstance going to provide for my needs or someone else's needs down the road? How is this gonna be for my, my good and his greatest glory? but he is always working those things out. He's constantly moving the pieces to bring about his redemption plan. We may not understand it, how they will benefit benefit us, but make no mistake, the Lord is faithfully laying up provisions for us in this life and for an eternity in heaven, John 14, one through three. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. We know this passage, right? That where I am, he closes that, you may be also. He is laying up treasures. I like in 1 Corinthians where it talks about our lives being hidden in Christ. Hidden, that is stored up for a later date. That he is storing up things now for a later date that will benefit us as believers and others who will yet to be believing, but also our future hope in heaven. Not only is God faithfully, as we look at verse four, faithfully laying up provisions and blessings beyond our understanding, he's also faithful to warn his kids of coming judgment. This is what he's doing with Noah, but also the rest of the world, though they may ignore it as it says in Romans. The book of Revelation, it is also that warning. Thessalonians, there's many other New Testament passages that speak of the warning of God that says this time is coming. But he's faithful to warn us as kids, not not to scare us, but to prepare us. To prepare us. That we would be able to stand firm as we're learning on Sunday mornings. Verse five, we see the blessings of obedience. When God reveals a plan to us as he did to Noah and commands us to act, our protection and preservation are at the forefront of these commands. They're meant for our good. We might not understand it. It may not look like it's all that great, right? I think of right now, especially in light of world events, Uh, thinking of believers in Ukraine, Russia, China, many other places where current world events are drastically and negatively impacting believers all around the world to their death for some of them. And and we might say, well, how is that in any way good? Well, all you have to do is roll back to the beginnings of the early church. How many times did persecution break out from the very beginning and it continued and when those persecutions increased, what happened to the church? It grew. It's, it's like the picture of, of if you want olive oil, you've got to crush the, the olives. And the more pressure you put on, the more, is, more of that oil is released. Now, we might not like that, but it's God's mercy to the non believer that they would see us in times of distress saying, I believe. I trust, I will follow him. When we fail to obey, when we fail to heed those warnings, we should not be surprised when we suffer some of the same consequences or similar consequences as non-believers. God says he loves us. As his kids, he is going to discipline us. So we, we should expect that as a good father, he is gonna discipline his kids if we fail to measure that out. Now, as you look at verses six through 12, there's a few different things in here, but notice this, that the animals went into the ark to Noah. Now, God told Noah to bring the animals into the ark, but I find it interesting in this words, in the way it's worded here, is that Noah went into the ark with his family and the animals joined him. Who sent them? I like this because God commands Noah to take the animals, but God does the work, of selecting and moving them, which again ought to remind us of what he does for you and I today as believers and followers of Jesus Christ, Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand so that we will walk in them. He says, I want you to do these things. But as I mentioned earlier, he was already preparing the provision for those things and the means by which they would happen. And he says, I just want you to walk in them, see them, obey, follow through, but I've laid the groundwork for all of it. We, I am called to live by faith, but God prepares that work beforehand. And always for his purposes, as Romans 8.28 says, no matter what it looks like, He says he's going to make that good. He's going to make everything good according to his purposes for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. Now, verse 12, it mentions 40 days and 40 nights. Now, the number 40 is used as a symbol. It's used in several places throughout the Bible. It's as a symbol of testing and also of purification. Moses on Mount Sinai, that's Exodus 24, Deuteronomy chapter 9. The spies going into Canaan, Numbers 13. Israel's time in the wilderness, 40 years, Numbers 14. Elijah's miraculous journey to Sinai, 1 Kings. Jesus's temptation in the wilderness, how long? 40 days, Mark 1, 13. So he uses difficult life circumstances as a method, as a means to test us, to purify us. James one, two through three says, consider all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance and let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. It's his desire to increase us our boldness, our confidence, our our faith, our assurance in difficult times. I I can think again of some of my own self-inflicted trials and how much I grew as a result of saying, oh God, this is a mess that I made, but I know the consequences are there, but yet there is great things that I can learn also just outward influences, life circumstances. Some of the most difficult life circumstances, uh, seeing friends of mine, not being able to resolve things and say, Lord, how is this possible? And he says, keep your eyes on me. Keep your eyes on me. I am doing a work. Are you going to stand firm when it gets hard? Because it is going to get hard. They were meant to draw Noah and his family closer to God to refine their faith, to refine our faith and increase their confidence, our confidence that he was working all things for their good. Now, verse 13 through 16, it, there it says, the Lord closed the door. Again, I love the, the, what, the, what we see here. You think about the size of this boat, ship. Ship and the amount of animals uh, Nathan and I were talking before the service it's just mind-boggling to understand you know now if you really want some really great information and how that's even possible uh, there's an organiza- organization called Answers in Genesis they're in Kentucky and they have built a life-size replica of the the ark you can go there you can walk in it you can tour it but they in their website answers in genesis you can understand more and more this think about all these animals of every kind so they didn't like need every kind of cat um every kind of dog and they just needed of its kind they didn't all have to be mature animals they were in fact they likely were not but god arranged it so everything was on the ark and then he closed the door because this was a big door now i like the parallel Revelations 3.7 is he who is holy, who is true, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut and who shuts and no one opens. Um, Also, John 10.9, Jesus says, I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and I will go in and out and find pasture. You see, God's patience now has come to an end. He closes the door on the opportunities for salvation. There's only one door to enter through. There still is only one door to enter through. And there is a limited amount of time. He is determined to warn all humanity that his patience will once again come to an end. And that he alone determines the expiration date of this offer we must enter through that one door. Now, verse 17 through 23, that we're talking more about now, the global nature or the effects of the flood. This was definitely a global flood. I know there's some that say, you know, listen, there's no way, that's not possible. Listen, if <laughs> since God said, let me create something out of nothing, I'm pretty sure He could quite easily flood the known world. Just from a... a purely scientific standpoint we know with the water that exists currently above the ground and the water below the ground is enough to cover the existing world not to mention our geography was not what it is today and as some of it is likely the effect of the flood and the continents moving so we potentially have less landmass and more open waters than we ever had but god has kept his word he says i'm gonna do this i'm gonna destroy all life Justice will be dispensed. And then he says, I'm going to do this again, but not in the way I've done it before. It also gives us this idea of God's thorough and complete judgment so that we could look at the scriptures and say, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess Jesus as Lord. Amen? That no one will escape that complete and thorough judgment. Verse 24, as in the days of Noah and his family, only those in relationship with God will be spared. In Acts um, chapter 4, verse 12, a few days after Pentecost, Peter and John were arrested for speaking about Jesus and the resurrection of the dead. They're, and they're, they're dragged before the high court, before Caiaphas and Annas and the religious leaders. And in boldness and confidence, they spoke these words, these words about Jesus. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. So we understand that it's not just that he closed the door, but there was only one door and there currently is only one door and there's only one person we can call on that we can knock. And he says, if we knock, he'll open the door. If we seek Him, we'll find Him. If we cry out to him, He will call out to us. If I can, I'll try to sum up chapter seven. The warning has come. There's a limited number of opportunities for salvation and offered to, only to those who live by faith. The provision of the Lord for those who trust Him and is certain and secure. Blessing is found in the obedient. For the obedient, God is constantly preparing joyous work for those who are obedient. Though difficult and challenging times will come, they are meant for our purification and our strengthening and to bring glory to God. And the patience of the Lord is limited in duration because his justice is certain. However, for those who choose that narrow path, the one door, there is peace and hope, not just in this life, but also in the life to come for eternity. However, like Noah, you and I are still in the middle (laughs) of this mess. The uncertainty that they find himself, and this is where chapter eight picks up. How are we doing on time? Not too bad. See if we can't get through chapter eight. But God remembered Noah and all the animals and all the livestock that are with him in the ark. And God caused a wind to pass over the earth and the water subsided. Also the fountains of the deep and the floodgates of the sky were closed and the rain from the sky was restrained. And the water receded steadily from the earth. And at the end of 150 days, the water decreased. Then in the seventh month, on the seventh day of the month, the ark rested upon the mountains of Ararat. And the water increased steadily until the 10th month. In the 10th month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains became visible. Then it came about at the end of 40 days that Noah opened the window of the ark, which he had made. And he sent out a raven and it flew here and there until the water was dried up from the earth. Then he sent out a dove to see if the water was low on the surface of the land. But the dove found no resting place for the sole of its foot. So it returned to him in the ark for the water was on the surface of all the earth. Then he put out his hand and he took it and brought it into the ark to himself. He waited another seven days, and again he sent out the dove from the ark. And the dove came to him in the evening, and behold, in its beak was a fresh olive leaf. So Noah knew that the water was low on the earth. Then he waited another seven days longer, and he sent out the dove, but it did not return to him again. Now it came about in the 601st year in the first month, on the 1st on the first of the month, that the water was dried up from the earth. Then Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked and behold, the surface of the ground had dried up. And in the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth was dry. Then God said to Noah saying, go out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing of all flesh that is with you, birds and animals and every crawling thing that crawls on the earth. That they may breed abundantly on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. And Noah went out, and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him, every animal, every crawling thing, and every bird, everything that moves on the earth went out by their families from the ark. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, and took some of, the le- of every kind of clean animal and some of every kind of, uh, and took some of every kind of clean animal, and of every clean burned and offered burnt offerings on the altar the lord smelled the soothing aroma and the lord said to himself i never again will never again curse the ground on account of man for the intent of man's heart is evil from his youth and i will never again destroy every living thing as i have done verse 22 while the earth remains seed time and harvest cold and heat summer and winter and day and night shall not cease all right, here we go. Chapter eight, verses one through six. I like this where it starts. And God remembered Noah. Now it doesn't imply that He God forgot about Noah. He's like, whoops, left him there in that boat, floating on the water. Um, like, ooh, sorry about that. No, <laughs> it's more like, more like God turned His attention once again to His favored creation. Now, I mean, at this point, He's He's moving heaven an earth, as it were, to flood the earth, to blot out everything, all sin at that point. By his own definition there, uh, in in verse, uh, was it 21, sin was still there, but nonetheless, he's focused on this judgment. He turns his attention now once again to say, I have set him in this hard circumstance. I can't leave him there. He is interested in preserving his children. Uh, Psalm 103, 13 and 14, as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him, for he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are but dust. Aren't you glad that God didn't say, well, that's nice, Noah, go figure that out. You know, when uh, we'll, you know, we'll see what happens. You know, It might take you know millennia for the waters to subside. No, God was working, and he was turning his attention to Noah. And he said, I gotta take care of this guy. They can't stay in that boat forever. Imagine if you will, all those animals, not just the animals, there was every kind of creepy crawly thing. If you've been to any foreign countries or have you been or lived in the South, you have a better understanding of this. Cockroaches, why? Right? every kind of lizard and bug. It's just, it's mind boggling. Everything that was on, and they're all trapped in this thing for a year in a relatively small space. And how many people do you have to visit with? (laughs) A handful. And you are going to get on each other's nerves. I'm sure this is why God says, (laughs) and on account of man for the intent of man's heart is evil from his youth. He's like, I've watched y'all in that boat. And it wasn't all that good. And God says, man, I know what you're made of. I know that sin is still in your heart. And this circumstance, if left unattended, is more than you could possibly bear. And God says that to you and I. When we go through these difficult life circumstances, it isn't as if God has said, whoops, forgot about that one. Where did I put kevin where did i put Lejean? oh yeah i remember now no he is attending to us constantly it's one of the reasons why i like there's an old song called his eyes on the sparrow Um, god is watching not even one sparrow falls and he knows it God knew the fears and the anxiety of these mere human beings. In essence, trapped inside a giant coffin. Unable to see what's going on outside. And isn't that what it's sometimes like for us? Unable to see what's going on outside of our circumstances. But there he was, there God was keeping them safe storing up provisions for them, providing for them. He wasn't going to delay forever. He's not going to delay forever for you and I. There's going to be a day when we're going to, once again, be able to walk out of this ravaged, sin-ravaged world and walk in his light, perfection. Now, again, in verses 6 through 12, it mentions the raven. He sends out after the waters subside. God does this miraculously. He closes up the the fountains of the deep. He shuts off the rain, and the waters recede. He causes the wind to blow. It again reminds me of this whole idea of God opening up the the Red Sea for Israel. But he sends out this raven. It's and the raven is an unclean bird. It's it's a scavenger. And what does it find? It doesn't return to. The ark, it flies here and there. What does it find to rest on? A lot of dead things. And I I just, maybe this is just me, but that's like a picture to me of the world. They're satisfied to rest and feed on dead things. But then later on, he sends out the dove and the dove goes and, and it's a clean animal. It goes and it can't find, it says there's no place for its foot to rest. that's you and I, as believers in this fallen world, this is not our place of rest. For Noah, his name meant rest. Going into the ark, there was a period of rest, a whole year. Well, relative rest, I guess. <laughs> Definitely rest and safety. Rest from the wickedness of, that surrounded him. But nonetheless, this bird finds no place to rest. He sends it out a second time. And it comes back bearing an olive branch or an olive leaf, depending upon your translation. We know this the, this the dove with the olive branch is a symbol of forgiveness and peace. It's still recognized around the world. It's also a symbol of the Holy Spirit, spe- seen in Mark chapter 1, verse 10, at Jesus' baptism. Baptism, that symbol of death and resurrection. This is what was happening in the ark, being buried, protected and guarded, but raised to new life as they come out of the ark. Baptism is that same visual representation of us being buried with Christ and raised to new life, that we are no longer who we formerly were. We have found forgiveness and peace from God. until the Lord dries up this flood of darkness that we see in our world, we find no perfect rest. We can absolutely experience, as Noah and his family did, that peace and rest, knowing that God is protecting us, surrounding us on all sides, but we still look forward to that ultimate rest, don't we? The time when our striving, our struggle ceases and we are made perfect in the presence of God. Philippians 3.20, for our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We're, We're living in a foreign place. We're not meant to be comfortable here. Joyful, content, purposeful, absolutely. But this is not our home. Verse 13 through 19. It's, it's like this picture now of mankind being released once again to the purposes of God. You could see that in our lone lives, God sending us out, saying, go, go and do what I've commanded you to do. What he said to the disciples was, go. What he says to you and I is go, be free both physically and spiritually to be fruitful. To us, like Noah buried in the ark for a time we have to have been buried with Christ, but now are set free to live as God commanded with purpose and peace, making disciples. Yes, having children, but also making spiritual children disciples in the name of the one who created us though we are surrounded by death. Yet we live, amen? Now, verse 20, when Noah built an altar to the Lord, then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every kind of clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. What is Noah's first response as he is released? What is his first response as he sees the judgment of God? it's worship it's worship our first response to the chaos of life and the salvation of God ought to provoke in us worship as Josh mentioned worship he is worthy to receive from us glory and honor and praise as it says in revelation worthy is the lamb And we're challenged to live that way today, not just looking into the future when we'll stand before God and it will be perfect, right? We won't be encumbered with these frail bodies that are falling apart with with sin that so easily entangles us. We will be perfectly free. No, he says, worship now. While we have this taste, while we have this taste of the glory of God, worship now. I like too that it says that Noah offered these animals as a sacrifice. As I mentioned earlier, God was already preparing extra, extra provisions for what was going to be needed. Now, these animals were valuable. There's a limited supply. Now, from, from a, maybe just a, a, a secular viewpoint, you'd be like, whoa, whoa, there, there's only seven pairs you probably shouldn't offer up any of them. So these were valuable things. I I like what, what David Guzik said. He says, these were costly sacrifices, ones which from the human perspective may have caused the extinction of the species. Regardless of the real or perceived cost, we ought to offer our best, our bodies to the one who spares us. Spurgeon said, common sense would have said, spare them for they will want every one of them. But grace said, slay them for they belong to God. Give Jehovah his due. As it says in Romans 12, one, I urge you, I beseech you by the mercies of God, because of what he's done, present your bodies as living sacrifices. Something that's costly something that we may not think we're ever gonna get back. Yet we will in abundance. Verses 21 and 22, God's promise was a promise of mercy. You see, because we deserve to die. Now death came at the Garden of Eden. As I mentioned before, in death, they were dying. It was a process like sanctification, a process of being made right. We are in the constant state of dying. We will die, but we also die spiritually in that moment of sin. And God, by his standard, says that would be required of us. That would be the right and fair thing. But God is more than fair, isn't he? More than fair. Please don't tell God to be fair with me. That terrifies me. Because fair would mean that first sin, the first time I told mom and dad, no, he'd be like, gone, next. We all wouldn't be sitting here. It would be an empty building. Well, no, there would be no building. God's promise was a promise of mercy. Mercy. We deserve to die, yet he withholds his judgment, not wishing, as we've heard before, not wishing that any should perish. He is actively protecting and providing for us while we await his return, and with him, his promised justice and reward. I'll leave you with one final verse before we move into communion. 1 Peter one 3-7 it says, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable undefiled and will not fade away reserved for heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, you greatly rejoice, even though for now or a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which perishes though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That is a summing up, a picture of what we ought to see in this story. God revealing the gospel. God revealing his protection, his future provision as we think about the rapture and the preservation of the believers from the wrath of God. The wrath similar only to a much greater extent than what Noah experienced that he will preserve us, protect us, hide us away. And that is what, why we worship him. In difficult times, in joyful times, or at least we ought to be, right? It's easy to, like when life is easy, uh, um, rather carefree that it's like, oh, you know, we kind of slip maybe a little bit, uh, reading God's word, praying becomes less important. But when things get bad, who are we crying out to? Right? He says, in all times, in joyful and sorrowful times, seek me. As we end our service tonight, you'll notice there's four stations, two up here, two in the middle. And and we're going to celebrate one of the greatest commands in the Bible, a command given us to by Jesus. Uh, Jesus told his disciples, and, and by default, you and I, to remember these truths. To remember the cost, to remember what it means to obediently follow him in humility, to remember the sacrifice that he made to purchase us with his own life, to remember his rescue plan, to remember he is the ark of God the one who saves all those who enter into it. He calls us to remember these things so that whenever we eat the bread and drink the cup, we ought to do it with that kind of trembling solemnness. They said, oh, what great cost this bread and this cup came to me We, we ought to humble our hearts, cause us to examine and say, Whoa, no, this is serious, as it says in 1 Corinthians um, 11, that we ought to examine ourselves. It's a, it's a heart check. What is my attitude about what I'm about to do? Is this just a religious observance? Or is this holding a piece of bread and a bit of juice and saying, this is what it cost. The creator of the universe stepped out of heaven and bled and died that I might live. So before we, before we enter into communion together, take time as, as Josh comes up and Naomi comes up, let us contemplate what God would reveal to us in our hearts. Let's let's clean the account. Let's, if there's necessary, you know, hey, okay, maybe we don't take communion because there's something we need to go settle with someone else. Or settle within our own hearts. That's okay. But we ought to do it because otherwise it says there that we will drink, eat and drink judgment upon ourselves if we have not rightly viewed this remembrance. Amen.
0: Thanks for listening to this week's study in the book of Genesis. If you're ever in the Portland area, we would love to have you visit us for one of our services. For more information about our church, you can visit our website at ccseportland.com. We hope you'll join us next week as we continue in our study together.